may I speak in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, O Lord, do make your presence known to each other and send us out with uh, the flag of joy waving from the castle of our hearts as you inhabit our lives. We pray that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. It's, um, yeah, Rejoice Sunday. Um, and it's Advent. You know that because we've got the, the Advent candle here. Um, and uh, you'll notice if you come to our house because we've got an Advent wreath on the front. And yes, we're looking forward to Jesus coming at Christmas and all the children are very excited. But of course, we Christians are also, and perhaps even more importantly, looking forward to that time when Jesus will come again. This time he won't come as a tiny little baby who can be ignored, um, crucified, but he will come as Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Now, how he will come is a matter of theological debate. I spent four years at Theological College, uh, many, many years ago, 1970s, and um, I think I probably spent far too much time discussing and debating and considering writing essays about how and when Jesus would return again. If you look in Revelation 20, preferably not now, you'll find there's an awful lot there, about a thousand years, and the debate is whether we will be around before, after, or during, or whatever. And I, to this day, still do not know whether I am a pre-millennialist, a post-millennialist, or an amillennialist. But what I do remember from those days is a little sub-doctrine called the rapture. Now, the rapture is a little doctrine that comes out of some things that Jesus says. You'll find them in Matthew and Luke's gospel. Don't go searching for them now. But you will find there Jesus saying things like, one day there'll be two men in a field. One will be taken, heaven, and one will be left behind. Be two women grinding at a mill. One will be taken, the other will be left behind. Two people in a bed. One will be taken to the presence of God. One will be left behind. And all this theology came to my mind in an instant a couple of weeks ago. Let me explain. Sheila and I, we've just had our family living with us for eight weeks. We get on incredibly well with our family. We love them. We had no problems at all. But it was lovely to say farewell as their extension was done. <laughs> And Saturday morning, we thought to ourselves, we deserve a treat. So off to Cafe Nero, we toddled. When we got there, we found there was quite a long queue, joined the queue, and I turned to speak to Sheila, and my, my wife, and she wasn't there. And I looked to the left, thinking, ah, oh, she's gone down to Boots, I knew she had a prescription to pick up. She wasn't there. I thought, oh no, she's gone to the library, so I looked to the right, she wasn't on her way to the library. And all of a sudden, those verses came back to me. Two people standing in a queue outside Nero. One will be taken. One will be left behind. Now, I know I'm a very naughty and sinful person. I said to my wife only yesterday, I said, how is it that one man can always get things so wrong? And she replied, you've had lots of practice, dear. But then, as I began to fear, my heart began to tremble. I looked inside Cafe Nero, and who did I see? No, not Sheila. Who did I see? But I saw a holy woman 
And I thought, that's all right. I'm in good company. The rapture hasn't happened. Who did I see? No less a person than Sally Proudlove. <laughs> and if anyone deserves to go straight to heaven without any uh, tri- tribulation, it's Sally Proudlove. Well, <clears throat> now, our citizenship, says St. Paul in this passage, is from heaven. And from there, we eagerly await a saviour who is Christ the Lord. And the Bible, if you look through all the New Testament talking about how Jesus will return, it uses, uses very flowery language, very sort of biblical language. Um, and um, uh, there are some theologians who find it unhelpful because they say this sort of very flowery language will confuse people and make them question you know, the sanity of uh, what we as Christians believe. A story is told about, true story, about a clergyman who just before the service started on Advent Sunday <coughs> looked out from the vestry and saw coming into church no less a person than the Archbishop of Canterbury himself. And he thought to himself, ah, our first hymn will offend him. And he went out to the Archbishop of Canterbury, welcomed him, and then said, um, uh, my Lord, we, we have this hymn that you may not like, Lo, he comes with clouds descending. Is anyone old enough to remember that hymn? No, no one remembers it. Yes, one or two. Lo, he comes with clouds descending. It's full of imagery. It's a brilliance, dazzling, this, that, and the other. And um, he asked the Archbishop of Canterbury if he'd like the hymn changed. But the Archbishop of Canterbury thought for a moment, and then he said, no, he said, don't change it, because it expresses in visual terms, something that is beyond our experience, beyond our ability to imagine, but a gospel truth that one day you and I will suddenly find ourselves in the very presence of God. Well, today we're thinking about that joy because having that hope gives us a joy And having that joy in our lives means that when we've got that joy, we're able to put everything else into that perspective. And Paul, in this little letter, a letter he writes with love to a group of people he really loves. He speaks about joy. No less than 19 times you'll find joy, rejoice, and words like that coming out in this little letter to the Philippians. And in the passage that was read to us, so nicely by Alison, He speaks about some of those things that help our joy. Now, I spoke last time about the importance of not allowing anyone to rob us of our sense of the presence of God. We have to be very careful not to allow anyone to rob us of our sense of the joy of the Lord. Um, In the very first church that I went to very, very, very many years ago, there was a lovely priest there by the name of Greg and he'd been put in there by the bishop. He was a retired um, secretary of the, the Rwanda mission. He was put in there to close the church down because it was dying. Just a few old people there, the bishop said, close them down, be loving and gentle to them. Anyway, what the bishop didn't know, and he did what Greg didn't know, was that the Holy Spirit came along. And wonderful thing happens. One of the uh, largest and most growing and most powerful churches in the south of England now. Uh, miracles do happen. But there was one person who used to be the bane of this poor man's existence. He was a holy man, Greg. 
But the man who was the bane of his existence was the church warden, who during the services used to sort of walk around at the back of the church with a great bunch of keys about that big, clanking them like some sort of jailer. And as far as he was concerned, that God was really only there at the end of the 19th century. And ever since then, it had been downward cascade. And uh, everything that had happened was bad. And one Saturday, we had a big gospel concert, evangelistic thing. A church was packed with hundreds. He, fortunately, this, uh, this uh, church warden, they're not all like Alison, you see. And uh, this church warden um, that was not present. Fortunately, he wasn't. If he had, he would have apoplectic fits and things like that for what happened. But in the evening, we cleared the church up, and we thought we got the church perfect. The church warden came in that, that morning and walked around the church, and he found it. He found what he was looking for, a Coke bottle under the altar. He went berserk, this man. He cried out. I won't try and do the crying out. But... Greg, the minister, said to me, that man, he robs me of my joy. Now, we're not supposed to allow anyone to rob us of our joy. About that time, he used to have a friend, and he used to say to me every time I got annoyed about something, he'd say, rise above it, bro, rise above it, bro. And actually, although I could have throttled him, actually... That's what we are called to do as Christians. We are called to rise above it. Why? Because we have this hope, we have this joy, this love and this peace, this fruit of the Holy Spirit. Well now, in this passage, Paul, as I said, speaks about a number of things that um, aid our joy and undermine our joy. And because my time is almost over, I'm going to cover them fairly briefly. But One thing, first of all, that really undermines our joy and causes it to drift away, drain away, is unresolved conflict. Paul, in this little passage that we read to us by Alison, speaks about two ladies, uh, Euodia and Syntyche. I don't know how you pronounce their names. But in some way, they, as Christians, had fallen out with one another. We're not told what had gone wrong, but it happens in church, doesn't it? It happens because we're individual people, we're unique, each of us has different views on things, and undoubtedly sometimes we will have those different views. But, despite those different views, we are called upon to agree in the Lord. That's what we're called to do. I can say it now because I've left the parish, but uh, in uh, the last parish I was in, uh, many, many years ago, we made a decision, as a PCC, I made a decision to do with um, what was called um, um, uh, uh, child protection in those days. It's something else now. Uh, We had to do it because of an incident. But there was one lady in our church who was vehemently opposed to some of the things that we, restrictions we had to put into place to protect children. She was very angry about it. Until that time, she had been one of my fans. I haven't had many fans in my ministry, but she was one of my fans. I used to run um, a monthly healing service and on a Tuesday evening, and she would bring carloads of people to it. She used to go around saying, oh, oh, come, oh, he's got healing hands. Christopher's got healing hands. It's amazing. Uh, Just for those who didn't understand, it's healing hands she was talking about. Anyway, um, so she'd bring all these people along, and uh, let me assure you, I haven't got healing hands. Um, If anything happened, it was entirely to do with the Lord. But when she heard about this change of policy, 
she was incensed and very angry. She tried to get people to change their minds about it, and they couldn't and wouldn't. And she wrote to um, every member of the church family. She wrote it in longhand, photocopied out four pages, A4 longhand. Let the little children come under me. Let them suffer. Um, and, uh, and she got no response. She wrote to the bishop and then the archbishop. Um, she even wrote to the Church Times. The Church Times were so intrigued, they sent someone down to have a look and see what was going on. They wrote a centre-page spread in the Church Times, talking about our church as being a model of excellence and good behaviour and all the rest. Poor woman was um, beside herself, and, uh, uh, and it ended up with her sending a couple of thugs along to the vicarage to, um, to, to beat the vicar up. Uh, I maintain all my teeth, fortunately. But... Uh, anyone interested in getting ordained? You know, this is uh, part of the, the joys of ordained ministry. Um, but uh, finally, the bishop and the diocese decided uh, maybe a legal injunction was, uh, would, would be helpful, and her doctor encouraged her to find somewhere else. Now, the lovely thing is that after a while, she repained, remained her composure, stayed at her new church, a very valued member there, and realized what was wrong and apologized. And, you know, we are, you know, we, last time I saw her just before I left, she just said, are we all right with one another? And I said, and I said, yes. But, um, I've told you a little story at length. We know it can happen in churches. And when it does, it does great damage. Why are we called to be um, in agreement with one another in the Lord? It is because, as Paul says, um, that we are supposed to um, have the same mind in the Lord. You know, it's so that in, in the cause of the gospel, we are seen to be united. That's what we're called to do. If we don't, well, then all manner of awful negative things happen, not just for us, but for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom and this world. Right, unresolved conflict. You know, we'd have nothing to do with that. We are always to seek to agree in the Lord, although we may have different views. Another thing he says that undermines joy is this thing called anxiety. Now, when he says, and bear in mind, you know, where he is, you know, he's in prison, probably awaiting a sentence of death. But he says, have no anxiety about anything. Now, is he saying we can be entirely and completely irresponsible now? We can do what we like. We don't need to have a single concern about anything. Of course not. God is concerned. He's concerned about this world, concerned about the climate, concerned about many things, concerned about our relatives, as we are to be concerned, yes, but we're not to be anxious. Someone did um, a little survey about anxiety, and they found that, well, the mathematicians about you, see if I've got the figures right, about 40% of the things that we uh, express anxiety about are things that are to do with the future that actually never happen. 30% tend to be things to do with the, the past. And, uh, uh, and if we can do things about it, fine. But worrying, being anxious about the past is no use at all. 12% has to do with health issues that may or may not develop. 10% are petty things. Have we got enough hair conditioner for all the family when they come at Christmas? And that leaves, the mathematicians will know, 8%. About 8% of the things that people are anxious about actually are legitimate things. Is Paul saying you can be anxious about them no, 
He's saying, have no anxiety about anything. Have no anxiety about anything. Why are we to have no anxiety about anything? Because to have anxiety about anything demonstrates that actually we don't trust God to look after us. And God cares for us and we can entrust ourselves to him. Right, two things, therefore, that can undermine our joy. Let me now just mention briefly two things which build up our joy. The first being thankfulness. You know, when I have people complaining about what God hasn't done, uh, you know, I'm inclined to ask the question, but I probably never do or don't enough, when was the last time you actually thanked God for what God had done? We are an ungrateful people, even as Christians. We, we fail to thank God, but we are called to be a thankful people. In all circumstances, even when things do not necessarily go the way that we would like them to go. Matthew Henry produced a great big Bible commentary. Andrew Barker has a copy of it. It takes up half a shelf. It's about that thick. It is on every verse of the Bible. Anyone else got a Matthew Henry commentary at home? Um, You can always borrow mine if you need to. Just bring a wheelbarrow with you. Um, But one day, he wrote in his diary, sometime in the 18th century, about something that had happened to him. He'd just been mugged in the street. Didn't call it mugging then. But this is what he wrote in his diary. He said, let me be thankful first, because I was never robbed before. Second, because though they took my wallet... They did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who robbed, not I, or was robbed, not I who robbed. And often in spite of difficulties, you know, we are called to be thankful. Um, the preacher's classic story is that of Corrie ten Boom, together with her sister in the concentration camp. You know the story. And uh, Corrie Tembu's sister said to us, we were thankful. Um, why? Because there were fleas there. How can we thank God for the fleas? Her sister said, we must be thankful because we've been thankful in everything. It wasn't until much later on that she discovered that the reason the guards didn't come into that hut was because of the fleas, the fleas that they thanked God for. Thankfulness. Thankfulness builds up joy. Be those who are generous. And lastly, steadfastness. Now, there are, the word steadfastness is not really there. Stand firm in the Lord. But look through that passage in Philippians 4, and you'll find the things he's talking about are being, about being steadfast. The Lord is near. You hold on to that. You rejoice in the Lord always. You're thankful and you're grateful. The Lord is near. Um, there's a lot of difference, isn't there, between happiness and joy. Happiness is all to do with our circumstances. You know, I'm happy when the sun is shining, um, when Sheila's smiling, um, when everything is going well, and when people are saying, oh, it's really lovely to see you on Sunday morning. Fell asleep halfway through the sermon, but remember the first bit. Um, I'm happy then. Um, uh, And that's to do with circumstances. That's happiness. We identify with that. Joy is different. It has a different source. It's not to do with circumstances. It is divine, and it comes from God. And our joy comes when Christ 
is in us, in us, and in us. And we're abiding in him. There's a, uh, we know that the queen, when she's at home, and one of her castles or palaces, uh, there's a little flag goes up to say that she's in residence. And joy, I got this out of a book, can't remember where, but I remembered it. Joy, I'm trying to remember it. Joy is the flag that waves from the castle of our hearts when Jesus is in residence. Joy is the flag that waves from the castle of our hearts when Jesus is in residence. Just because half of you are asleep, wake up, wake up, I will, will, will say that. So I'll break it up into three bits. Joy is the flag that waves. Joy is the flag that waves from the castle of our hearts when Jesus is in residence. Let me just finish on a little story. We've uh, <coughs> just come up, uh, back from one of those little cruises up the Rhine. This is what all people do. And when you're old, you'll be able to do it. Um, and uh, anyway, one of the things that we picked up from one of the guides was how fortunate we are in this country to live on an island. We haven't been subjected to boundaries constantly changing. We went to a place where it was French, then it was Prussian, then it was French, then it was German, then it was French, then it was German, then it was French, then it was German. Back and forth, back and forth like this. And... Uh, you know, each time they suffered. And it reminded me of a story of an Austrian town in the Napoleonic Wars where an army of 18,000 appeared over the hills. And the people of the town knew they had no army there and they knew they were about to be invaded. Messages came. They should they'd surrender. Oh, had their, their town blown to smithereens by all those cannons. The priest in the parish, the main priest in the parish, there are a number of churches, said, no, look, it's Easter Day. And he begged them. He said, please, he said, can we, on Easter Day, can we just come to God and present it to God and entrust ourselves to God? And they agreed reluctantly. And the people went to church. And the bells rang. And when they came out of their churches, they found that the Napoleonic army had disappeared. Why? They found out years later. Because hearing the bells ringing, they assumed that the Austrian army had come to relieve the town. Well, now, when you and I allow the joy of Christ, Christ to abide in us and to fly from our hearts, well, I think Satan flees. You and I are called to joy, to peace and hope and love, yes, but to joy. And we can do that because we know, coming back to the beginning, that we have a home in heaven. We belong to heaven. One day Christ will come. He will take us to be with himself. We can rejoice. Let's bow our heads. Pray. Heavenly Father, we have this hope. We have this joy. We have this love. And we have this peace because of you. You alone have given us this. You have given it to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Inhabit our praises. Inhabit our hearts and our lives. That joy may be the flag that flies from the castle of our hearts. We pray it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.